Listener Production. Dr. Bruce Lipton is a well-renowned stem cell biologist and one of the leaders in epigenetics. He is best known for promoting the idea that gene expression can be influenced by environmental factors that people have a greater impact on their health than genetic research has previously determined. Bruce says, our consciousness is creating our life experiences. He says, that's not a suggestion. This is the law of science. If you change your consciousness, you change your life experiences. What follows is a conversation about rewiring our minds to no longer live as victims, but as empowered beings, and how we can create better programming for our children so they can live to their fullest potential. If environment controls genes, we are capable of regulating the environment. Oh my God, that means then we regulate our genes versus the belief that genes regulate themselves. And if you understand that, then I said, the original belief we're a victim of genetics, The new science, epigenetics, uh, reveals that we're actually masters. We control our biology. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life and hopefully yours too. Bruce Lipton is the best-selling author of The Biology of Belief and recipient of the 2009 Goy Peace Award. He is an internationally recognised leader in bridging science and spirit and currently resides in California. I wanted to start off with talking about the fact that we've got so much more power over our body than we think. And, you know, you're the master in talking about this. How do our beliefs and thoughts affect our biology? Well, the first understanding is this. We've been programmed with a belief that actually is incorrect. And that belief is something called genetics, because in that program of genetics, it says, uh, A, you didn't pick the genes as far as we know that you have. B, if you don't like the genes, you can't change them. C, the genes turn on and off by themselves. And I say, so what is collectively does this belief mean? And it means that uh, we are victims of our genetics, our heredity, that if there's cancer running in the family, we can expect that, or cardiovascular disease, we can expect that. Uh, and we have no control over the genes, and the genes apparently have control over us. So that promotes a vision of victimization. So when people deal with their life and it's not working right, it's like, oh, my genes and, you know, it's not me. So it takes away responsibility. So how did you come about doing this work? There were just a few in the whole world that even knew what a stem cell was. And it's an embryonic cell. Uh, And I was cloning them. And let me tell you, so at the same time, I'm teaching students the conventional belief that genes turn on and off and genes control the character of your life. And uh, while I'm teaching that in the laboratory, what I was doing was growing stem cells in clonal culture. And that, that, what that really means is this. I put one cell in the Petri dish all by itself, and it divides every 10 hours. So the first there's one, then there's two, and then there's four, and it doubles, eight, 16, 32, blah, blah, blah. After a week, about 30,000 cells in the Petri dish. But now the most important fact is simply this. All of them are genetically identical because they came from the same parent. So I have 30,000 genetically identical cells. 
And here's the experiment that then changed my entire life because, as I said, I'm teaching genes control life. But now I have uh, these cells. I split them up into three Petri dishes. So each dish, they're all the dishes have genetically identical cells in them. But I changed the culture medium uh, chemistry a little bit. And you say, well, what's culture medium? I say, well, that's what we grow cells in. I say, yeah, but what does it represent? It represents blood. That cells live in our body in a blood fluid, which nourishes them, takes care of them. So in a culture dish, synthetic blood, culture medium, uh, is what I grow the cells in. Now, what do I have? Three dishes, genetically identical cells in each. But I change the chemistry of the culture medium, like changing the chemistry of the blood a little bit. And in one change, the cells form muscle. In a different environment, different culture medium, the cells form bone. In a third culture medium, again, a little bit different, the cells form fat cells. So the fate of the cells, bone, fat, muscle, uh, wasn't dependent on the genetics. It was dependent on the environment that they were living in. This is revolutionary. Well, it was for me because I'm teaching that genes control life. And then in the lab, it says environment controls genes. It's like, whoa. I said, but what's the real significant difference there? And I go, if environment controls genes, we are capable of regulating the environment. Oh, my God. That means then we regulate our genes versus the belief that genes regulate themselves. And if you understand that, then I said the original belief we're a victim of genetics the new science, epigenetics, uh, reveals that we're actually masters. We control our biology. And, and then you say, well, if we control our biology, well, why is there so much sickness and problem in the world? And I go, because the mind, which controls biology, now let's, let's just make a step so people can follow where yeah. we are. The fate of those cells was determined by the culture media chemistry. And I say, well, what is culture medium? I said, that's blood. So then I say, okay, so I have cells in a plastic dish and the chemistry of the culture medium controls their fate. And I go, yes, now here's the connection. When we look in the mirror and see ourselves, we see a single individual organism, a human being looking back. And I go, but it's not a single organism because a human is made out of 50 trillion cells. Uh, 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 a human is a skin-covered culture dish with 50 trillion cells inside. The cells are the living entity. Me, Bruce, human, that's a community. So my name is a community of 50 trillion cells. So I say, why is it relevant? The point is simple. The human body is a skin-covered Petri dish, and it has the original culture medium in it, the blood. And I go, yes, but the chemistry of the blood controls the fate of the cells. It doesn't make a difference if the cells in a plastic dish or a skin dish. The fate of the cell is controlled by the chemistry of the culture medium in the body. It's called blood. And then all of a sudden you say, oh, okay, so the blood is controlling the fate of my genetics. I go, yes. I say, but what in the blood is doing that? I say, the chemistry. I say, yeah, but what controls the chemistry? Because whatever controls the chemistry is by definition going to control the fate. And then I go, well, the brain is the chemist. But then comes the last and now the most important part of it, and that is, okay, the brain's a chemist. It puts stuff into the blood. What stuff does it put in the blood? And I go, whatever the picture in the mind is, the picture is translated into chemistry by the brain, and the chemistry goes into the blood so that the body's biology matches the picture in our consciousness. And all of a sudden it says, oh, my God, consciousness is controlling these genes. And if you change your consciousness, 
you change your genetic activity. I go, 100% true. And all of a sudden, we move from a world where people think their illnesses are all due to genes. Uh, apparently, less than 1% of diseases even connected to genes. Really? Yes, 90% of diseases, lifestyle. And I go, why is that important? Because we make lifestyle. And if we make lifestyle that's not in harmony, then we have disease. And if we live in a very harmonious lifestyle, then we manifest health. And all of a sudden, it's like, we're not victims. We're creators. But people didn't know that. So they let their thoughts run wild. I go, yeah, but your thoughts are programmed by other people and, uh, and your imagination. Uh, you know, people are living fear. Is there a real fear? No, but you know, they imagine it. And I say, well, here's why it's so important. The environment's always changing between day and night, cold and warm. Uh, you have to adjust the biology, so you have to read the environment. But I say, but the 50 trillion cells in my body do not see the environment. They're inside under the skin. So I said, well, then how can the cells adjust their biology if they can't see the environment? I go, the nervous system reads the environment and then tells the cells what's going on. Okay, so that's how the cells respond. Now, here's the problem. Two people can be in the exact same environment and look at the same environment, but read different information. One says, oh, this is a healthy, wonderful, warm environment. The other one's like, oh, my God, there's a scary environment. They're both in the same place. What's the point? The cells in their bodies are not responding to the real environment. The cells in the body are responding to the interpretation of the environment. So two people in the exact same environment, one could be totally unhealthy because that's what they interpret. And the other one could be totally sick because the fear of the environment is threatening. And then that, that creates the illness. So all of a sudden it says, oh my God, what we think is controlling our biology. And all of a sudden it says, if you change what you think, you change your biology. And it sounds like, oh, that's a new agey. That's new agey. I go, look, placebo effect has been around for a hundred years. I say, what does it represent? I say, someone's got an illness. Uh, and the doctor comes up and says, we got the you know, the greatest new medicine, best thing ever made just for you. So expensive. And it's the best medicine. And you take this medicine and you get well, but then find out later it was just a sugar pill. And so the point is really critical. Then what healed you? Not the sugar pill your belief in the sugar pill. And that can create health out of any disease. And that's the result of positive thinking. Now, let me just add this because this is critical. We talk about placebo, positive thinking resulting in a healing of an illness. But negative thinking is equally powerful. But negative thinking works in the opposite direction. Rather than healing you like positive thinking, negative thinking can cause any disease. It can, you can die just from negative thinking. Uh, placebo is the result of positive thinking, healing. Nocebo is the name of negative thinking, which can cause any illness irregardless of the genes. Now, it, it, your mind will manifest whatever illness you want it to do. Why? You're a creator. <laughs> so your body will adjust itself to live in your belief, negative or positive. That's extraordinary. So you change, if you change your consciousness, you can change your life. How do we change our consciousness? Well, 
First of all, you have to know about the fact that when we talk about the mind and, you know, every story we were just said, oh, the mind created this and the mind created that. And everyone gets the idea that there's this one thing called the mind. But let me tell you, there are two things that cause a mind. The original mind is called the subconscious mind. It was like a robotics mind. There's no thinking involved. It's stimulus, response, the animal, a lizard or mouse, I don't care, goes out there and some stimulus in the world and they engage automatically in a response. It's not thinking world, really. It's just stimulus, response world, habit. Uh, and, and that's what the subconscious mind's good at, adjusting everything without you paying any attention at all. It's all automatic, automatic control, subconscious. But over evolution, we evolved a, uh, a special lobe of brain right behind the forehead called the prefrontal cortex. It's an extension of the brain. And this is the seat of what is called conscious mind. The other 90% of the brain behind is called the subconscious mind. The front piece is conscious mind. They have, the minds have two different functions and they learn in two different ways. And this is why we have such a misunderstanding about life because people don't understand this. Okay, so let's describe. The conscious mind, the latest piece right behind here, is connected to your personal identity, your name, your source, your spirit. That's you. It's unique. The subconscious mind behind is just a machine that records behavior, and then you push the button and it plays it back. It's programs. Boom, push the button, play it back. So I say, so what's the difference? I say the creative mind, the conscious mind, has wishes and desires. So, Sarah, what the heck do you want out of your life? If I ask you that question, you're going to give me some kind of answer. Give me some kind of answer. What, what do you want out of your life? I, I, I want to live a happy, um, extraordinary life with a lot of adventures. Okay. So now this mind answer that you gave me is called creative. You're thinking and imagining a future. Mm -hmm. So the power of the conscious mind is creativity. It has wishes and desires. These are what the conscious mind is all excited about because it's creative stuff, okay? Mm -hmm. Then I say, and what about the subconscious mind? I go, oh, the subconscious mind is just a machine. It records programs. The programs can be good or the programs could be bad, but the subconscious mind is just a machine. So let's don't blame the subconscious mind if there's a problem. What we want to understand is what the heck the program is because that's where the problem comes from. The subconscious mind is very powerful and wonderful. I'll give you an example. When do you think you learned how to walk? Probably about age two. Did you ever have to learn how to walk again? No. No. And I'm 75 and I, you know, I could still use the same program <laughs> I learned when I was two. So there are programs that are really good in there because they help us get through life, talking, walking, whatever movements, whatever, you know, controlling ourselves, good programs. Now you could get a bad program in there and that's unfortunate because then when you play a bad program, the behavior is bad. And if the behavior is bad, then it takes away from health and, and what you want. Okay, so here's the point. The mind consists of two parts. The creative conscious mind has all the wishes and desires. The subconscious mind is a database of programs. Now, why do we have programs and where do we get them? That's critical because that now is going to determine the rest of your life when I tell you this, and it comes from here. Why have programs? Well, number one, let's say I, I have a brand new computer and it's got an operating system. So I open up the lid on it, turn on, on, and it boots up. Now, what can you do with that computer? Well, if you just have an operating system in it, there's nothing you can do with it. <laughs> Why? It's on. 
yeah, but what you want to do something. Oh, you need programs. If I have a computer with no programs, I can turn it on, but it won't do anything. So a human baby's head is a computer. And the first part is to turn it on, make it work. But with no programs, I can't do anything with it. So nature creates the first seven years of your life as a download opportunity to download behavior so you can have programs that you can use. So the first seven years of your life, your brain is like in a state of hypnosis. It watches your mother, your father, your family, your community, observes all their different behaviors and records them just like a video camera. So the programs that are in your subconscious, the first ones that came in, didn't come from you, had nothing to do with your wishes and desires. It was just copying your family and your community, the behavior, so that you could be a functional member of that family and community. You're going to have the right programs because you observe them. But then recognize this. What you observed went straight into the subconscious like a video recording, a program, a behavior. How your mother responded to stress? Oh, you recorded that. That's right in there, okay? I say, why is it relevant? Because when I turn on a computer and I want to run a program, what program am I starting with? Not mine. I didn't put any in there because that only works after age seven when I become conscious using the creative mind. Before age seven, I'm using the recording habit mind. And the habits for before age seven didn't come from me. They came from my family and my community. So the programs in your subconscious mind, which control your life, especially for the first seven years, didn't even come from you. Did they answer your wishes and desires? Eh, probably not. I say, then what's the problem? I say, well, you have wishes and desires to do this, and the program only allows you to do that. You can't get to your wishes and desires if the program runs that way. How should they you know, raise their kids in a positive way? Oh, just what you just said. If the child is downloading a program, then the idea is if you provide the child with almost all the positive things you could think of, you're the smartest, you're the brightest, you're the most loving, you're the most wonderful. If these are the programs that are going in, that's what's being, being recorded in the subconscious mind. I am a wonderful child. I'm a loving child. I'm a gifted child. I said, that's because what we told them, right? And, and the issue is this. The brain, the mind's function is to take that program, whatever it is, and make it real. That's what the job of the mind is. Here's the program. Now create the environment that matches the program. Point is very important. If I have a negative program, then the function of the mind is to manifest a negative experience. Mm. If I have a positive program, then my mind is to create positive experiences. And then when we look at the conventional way parents are raising children, Today, approximately 70% of the programs that a child downloads in those first seven years are disempowering, self-sabotaging, and limiting behaviors. My God, the children can't get off the ground. They already got 70% of the programs that are going to cause dysfunction. <laughs> it's like, you already started bad. You, can't, uh, you have to you know, understand these programs. And then you say, look, that's the subconscious mind. And that's pr predominantly what controls my life through age seven. But after age seven, my conscious mind wakes up and I'm ready to be creative because conscious mind's creative. But to be creative, you still got to use the program to start with. 
<laughs> so uh, you're still using the fundamental programs to, in your life, okay? But the creative one has the wishes and desires so it can see different conclusions, different than the ones your program would have given you. Now you have a problem. Wishes of love, health, happiness, joy, can I create them? The answer is yes, you can, but you have to use the conscious mind because that's where the creativity comes from. Now, this opens up the opportunity. I have, again, now I have to open this door because this is like the very profound door, okay? It says, the conscious mind will create the life that I want. The subconscious mind will create the life I've been programmed with, okay? And I go, well, yeah, but the one I want, as you said, was all the wishes, love, health, happiness, you know, that's what I want, okay? So I go, okay, are we going to experience a lot of that? the conscious mind. And now I'm going to give a fact. No, <laughs> no. You know why? For the conscious mind to be creative, it has to be driving the vehicle. Like it has to be the hands on the wheel of where this body, where this vehicle is going to go. I got to drive it. Okay. Here is the glitch that then the whole thing goes to hell. <laughs> and that is the conscious mind while driving the vehicle can take you to wishes and desires. No problem. Okay. But the conscious mind can think. He goes, so? I said, but thinking is an inside job. I redirect my attention, not looking out. I don't care what's going on on the road, what's in the room, whatever. If I'm thinking, I want to get a thought that's inside my head. So here's the problem. When you are thinking, the conscious mind goes inward because that's where the thoughts are. They're inside. I go, so what? I say, yeah, but if the conscious mind's driving a vehicle and now it goes inwards, it's not driving a vehicle anymore. And I say, ah, when the conscious mind is thinking, autopilot subconscious grabs the wheel and drives the vehicle while you're thinking. I say, and what kind of programs will the subconscious use? Not the ones from your creative mind, but the programs you were downloaded with. And if most of those are negative, then every time you are thinking, you are engaging in negative behavior. And you say, yeah, but I would, I would see if I was doing negative behavior. I go, no. The reason why? Where's your mind because the subconscious is playing? Where is your mind? It's inside. So it's not observing what's going on outside. I say, well, then if I'm playing subconscious programs that are sabotaging me, will I see it? And I go, nope, it's invisible. You'll see the result. <laughs> Your life won't turn out the way you want it to turn out. But you never saw that it was your own behavior that was creating that because it was subconscious and it was operating all the time, 95% of the day, the subconscious was controlling your life. The important part is this, two minds, conscious, creative, wishes and desires, subconscious habit programs, uh, most of which you downloaded with it because you didn't have conscious mind. The download, whatever you picked up in the first seven years, your conscious mind didn't review it and go, oh, that's a good one and that's a bad one. Conscious mind wasn't even there. <laughs> so whatever the programs are, good, bad, they get downloaded and then 70% turn out to be disempowering. And all of a sudden I say, wow, then the subconscious programs alone are going to be trouble <laughs> because the conscious mind's going to do the creation. But when the conscious mind's thinking, subconscious mind takes over, but it can only operate the machine based on the programs and the programs you got didn't come from you. 
They were downloaded from family and community. So all of a sudden it says, the disconnect in our life is simply this. We have wishes and desires, the manifestation of a conscious mind. However, our life is controlled 95% of the time by the subconscious programs that were programmed by other people. And all of a sudden you see where the struggle comes from. They didn't program your life and their lives were probably already screwed up. So when you copied them, you copied a screwed up program already. Mm. So uh, the whole issue about this is you are not creating the life you desire when you're operating from subconscious mind, which is normally 95% of the day. So your life turns out to be a struggle. I want health, happiness, joy, love. I say, uh, are you getting them? It's like, no, really, I'm having a problem there. I say, why? Well, I don't know. And I go, I'll tell you why. Is because 95% of the day, your program is not taking you to where you want to go. Your program is taking you off of some other place. And usually, as I said, 70% being negative, places you don't even want to be. So then the issue is, well, what does this represent? Mm. So most of the audience out there, I presume, have seen the movie The Matrix. Yes. And I say, why is it relevant? Because in a video story, they say, oh, that's a science fiction. I go, no, 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 no. The Matrix is a documentary. Everyone's been programmed. Everyone. And I say, well, what's relevant about the movie? They say, well, if you take the red pill, that secret red pill, or you take that red pill, you're going to get out of the program. I go, oh, that's cool. And guess what we now know? What? When people fall in love, head over heels in love, consciously it's the equivalent of taking the red pill. Really? All of a sudden this person shows up in your life that, like, oh my God, this is the person I've been looking for my whole life. And, and the idea is, is this a time to think, to disconnect from the reality and go into thought? Uh-uh. So when you fall in love like that, you stay what is called mindful. You keep your mind at the present moment. What's going on right now? What's going on right now? Not thinking what's going on right now. I say, oh, but if you stay mindful, then by definition, you're not playing subconscious programs. No, nope. you're playing what? Wishes and desires. So when two people fall in love, they stop playing their programs, which were limitations. And for the first times in their lives, they are operating from conscious creativity. Manifesting what? Wishes and desires. Mm. Heaven on earth. The joy of falling in love and just realizing how beautiful the planet is. How beautiful everything is. It was the same planet you had yesterday before you met this person. What's different? Your program. He's not looking now at all the negative things that the program brought to your attention. You're now looking at the program as creative wishes and desires, which is... The love, oh, I love the love, you know, all that kind of stuff like that. And the point is, well, then that's going to control your life. And that's called the honeymoon. And I go, well, that's really cool. Jeez, but the honeymoon wears out. Mm -hmm. And then regular life comes in and that beautiful heaven on earth experience gets changed back to, eh, we're back on earth again. Okay. I say, why, why did this happen? Well, firstly is this, you created the honeymoon because you stopped playing the programs and we're now creating from the conscious mind's wishes and desires and manifesting wishes and desires. But life gets busy. 
you could be on honeymoon all you want, but if you have a job, you're going to have to deal with that. And you have chores, you're going to have to deal with that. You got responsibilities, you're going to have to deal with that. So I say, why is it important? Because in the honeymoon part, you didn't spend time thinking. You spent time being present, creating the person you want to be, the loving, open, warm, helpful, whatever person you have in your mind, you become that. And that's what your partner is seeing. And that's what the honeymoon is on. But then you start thinking, and all of a sudden, guess what? The behavior that comes out now is not from the conscious mind. The behavior that comes out now is from the program. I say, yeah, but whose behavior is that? It's not yours. (laughs) You copied that from somebody else. And if they have some crap behavior, guess what? The moment you start thinking, you start playing crap behavior. Mm. we change our subconscious mind so we're not living in those patterns well you have to understand number one that the minds learn in different ways listening to this podcast the conscious mind could learn oh that's a new idea i like that idea okay uh reading a self-help book yeah i got new ideas that's really great you know uh, uh going to a lecture oh that was really great i got no idea i say all of that is in conscious mind because conscious mind's creative and that's how it learns okay so the conscious mind can get real smart I know all the right things to do. I know how to do. I know how to live right, blah, blah, blah. I go, really great. And I said, and how much of your life is controlled by that conscious mind? 5%. Uh Uh-oh. I say, then the rest of your life is coming from what? Subconscious mind. And that is uh, the habit mind. Now, here's the important part. The conscious mind is creative. And being creative can learn in any number of ways. You read the book, you went to the lecture, you just went, aha, and you can change it. Okay. Subconscious mind, now hear me, is the habit mind. I said, well, why is that relevant? Because habits do not want to change. Otherwise, they're not habits anymore. Habit stays the same. I learned this. I wanted to stay the same. Okay. So habit mind resists change. It's not easy to change the habit mind. Because the whole idea is, if it's a habit, it doesn't change, (laughs) okay? So I say, oh, so if I got habits that are not good, and I say, how do I know what those habits are? Because they were downloaded before I was conscious, and then we go back and simply remind people, 95% of your life is coming from the subconscious mind, which means any struggle you have in your life did not come from the outside environment. It came from programs in the subconscious mind that did not offer you empowerment. And so we struggle. So I say, what are your programs? Look at your life. The things that come into your life and you like, they come in because you have a program to let them in. But the things you want, love, joy, happiness, health, whatever those things, and you have to struggle, why are you struggling? And the answer is simple. The program in your mind doesn't support health, happiness, love, or whatever else you were looking for. That's why you're struggling. So now I say, oh, well, guess what? Now you know what the programs are in your mind. You know the ones that work because they give you what you want. And you know the negative programs because they're the ones that are providing the struggle. (laughs) So now I say, I want to change it. I say, well, how do I change? I say, because the mind resists change, the subconscious There's special ways to change the program. And if you don't follow the special way, you're going to frustrate yourself until you're crazy dead because you were going to say, I'm going to change. I want to change. And I want this. I want this. And I go, so what? That's your conscious mind talking. Your subconscious mind not listening to any of that because that's not how it learns. So the issue is we get frustrated because 
I keep telling myself to do it right and it never happens. And I always keep telling myself and I go, ah, there's your problem. There's nobody in the subconscious mind. It's a machine. It just does record and playback. You as an entity are in your conscious mind, but there is no entity in the subconscious mind. So you can talk to your blue in the face of the subconscious mind. It's like, so nobody's listening because that's not how it learns. How does it learn? Well, the first seven years it learned because it was in a state of hypnosis. <laughs> we were in theta, the brain activity of a child, which just does download. So I say, oh, do I, do I need to see a hypnotherapist? I go, I could do that, but you could do this at home without a hypnotherapist for a simple reason. The vibration theta, the vibrations of the brain are measured by putting wires on a person's head called electroencephalograph. You read brain function. And there are different vibrations. The higher the vibration, the more conscious. The lower the vibration, the less conscious. And there's a point where the vibration slows down to calm consciousness. That's a vibration called alpha. But if the vibration goes slower than alpha, consciousness disconnects. But subconscious is now in theta. Point is this. Every night as you go to bed, the moment consciousness goes to sleep, the next activity of your brain is, is uh, theta. Hypnosis. Point is simple. I find a, a program that I can put on a CD or on a stick or in my computer, uh, a program of what I want to be true in my life, whether it's a program about health or happiness, making money, making relationships, whatever that program is, self-help program. And what I do at night is, is I put on a pair of earphones and I put that thing to play. And the point is simply this. While you're conscious, you'll hear what's going on on the tape. But the moment you fall asleep, guess what? Consciousness shut off. But the subconscious is still on. And so whatever is coming through the earphones is not now going into the conscious mind at all. It's going now deep into the subconscious mind. That's called self-hypnosis. Put the earphones on every night and play the program you want to be true in your life. And repetition of that will lead to that program becoming a program in your subconscious mind. So that's number one. Number two. That period of programming, age seven, ends. And I said, well, yeah, but I still learn things in my subconscious. I still get new programs. I learned how to drive a car. I was older than age seven. How did I do that? And the answer is this. After age seven, new programs can be installed in the subconscious via um, um, repetition, practice, habituation, repeating something over and over again. And that's how the subconscious now learns a program after age seven. You want to be happy and you're miserable? Then all day long, even though you're miserable right in your face, you go, I am happy. I am happy. <laughs> I, I go, why are you saying that? And you know damn well you're not happy. I go, no, I say I'm happy because the subconscious mind after age seven learns by repetition. And if I keep repeating, I am happy, I am happy, I am happy. What's the function of the mind? to take a program and turn it into reality. If I get a program by repeating, I am happy, I am happy, I am happy, I am happy, and now I got a program in there, automatically I'm happy, guess what? I don't even have to say I'm happy anymore because the moment I'm awake and my subconscious is playing, guess what? My brain, my mind is going to make that program real. It'll make me happy. I will be happy for I don't even know why. It'll just be happy because that was what the program was. So repetition is the important part. Uh, there's a new age phrase, which I find is kind of humorous, but it actually makes the point. And that is, uh, you want to change your subconscious mind, then fake it 
till you make it. Mm-hmm. Meaning, take whatever the thing you want and say it as if you already have it. It's like, it's got to be here now. I have this. I am love. I am health. I am, it's like present. This is what I am. And you keep repeating that just like I am happy. And at some point, the repetition, that's how the subconscious mind learns, will make that a program. And once it's a program, then you don't even have to say it anymore because now the job is the mind's job to make that program real. Wow. So going back to disease, uh, if people create their own illness, which is a very scary thing, and it would be a scary thing for people out there who have cancer or any other type of illness, can they get rid of it once they've got it if they do change their subconscious? Absolutely. This is the most exciting part because uh, in regards to cancer, they frequently use the term spontaneous remission. A person who has been uh, uh, given a prognosis, you got three months left to live. Two people are given the same prognosis. One dies, the other one continues living. So what's the difference? The difference is those that exhibit what is called the spontaneous remission, the elimination of the disease, the common characteristic is they change their belief system. They change their life. Two people get the same diagnosis. You're going to die in three months. One goes, oh, my God, the doctor is a professional. The doctor knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I know? I go, why is it relevant? Because if you buy it as true, then what's the function of the mind? <laughs> Take that belief and turn it into reality. If you believe you're going to die of cancer, well, then you already started dying of cancer because that's what you believe. I say, so that person comes in in three months and dies on schedule. I say, what about the other one? I say, well, once given the diagnosis, they said to themselves, oh, my God, my life's not in harmony. I have so much stress here and so much struggle. I'm just going to change it. Forget all this crap, because if I only got a few months left to live, I'm going to let go of all this. And they let go of it. And then guess what? No more cancer. The cancer was not due to genes. Cancer is a symptom of not being in harmony. (laughs) You want to kill all the cancer cells? That's great. But if you didn't change the fact that you were in disharmony, you're going to get the cancer again or you're going to die. There is no gene that causes cancer. Bottom line. I go, yeah, but a lot of people believe genes cause cancer, like uh, the breast cancer gene. Mm. Having the gene does not mean you have the cancer. Ah, that's what the fact is all about. I said, so where's the cancer come from? Not the gene alone. It comes from not living in harmony, living under stress, living under bad programming. I say, this is what activates that gene. And I go, well, what if I don't want that gene activated? I say, oh, well, then change the stress and change the programming. The gene won't be activated because we have been programmed to believe that health is not in our control, that health is in the control of the genes. And then I have to say, yeah, but that's completely false. Because the genes don't control anything. Genes are just blueprints and they have no on and off and no control. Uh, It's the mind that calls up the blueprint. So it's the mind that controls the blueprint. So if you've got a family who um, are all told that they've got the BRCA gene, the breast cancer gene, and the women, you know, the grandmas died, the mothers died, and now the two daughters think that they're going to die and they go in and they're told to get their breasts removed and... Yeah, so, so Angelina Jolie did that, of yeah. course. You know? So, like in that situation, if they were to, to change the way they thought and reprogram their subconscious, they wouldn't need to get that kind of stuff done? Absolutely not, because the gene didn't cause it, but the belief in the gene. And I said, well, what causes the cancer? You want to know? Uh, it's not the gene. You know, let me give you a, a, an example of an insight that's like, oh, and this is this. 
They followed the fate of what happened to babies that are adopted into a family where there's cancer running in the family. And what they found out is the adopted child will end up with the same family cancer with the same probability of getting that as any of the natural children. I go, so what does it mean? I say, the adopted child came from totally different genetics. <laughs> the cancer wasn't in the genes. The cancer was in the programming. That's where the cancer came from. That's why you can have the breast cancer gene, but if the programming is one that enhances health and supports your vitality, you can carry the gene and never get the cancer. But if you have a program that is really sabotaging your vitality, then in the process of sabotaging your vitality, you can engage that gene and then manifest the cancer. But the gene does not manifest itself. It does not control anything. The gene is a blueprint. It has no ability to turn itself on and off. It can be read or not read. But the reading is not up to the gene, it's up to the mind. So um, talking about mothers who are pregnant, as far as epigenetics are concerned, how, um, with the last trimester, how does the mother affect what happens with the baby in utero? Okay, let's uh, summarize very briefly what epigenetics is all about. Environment, blood, culture medium, controls the genetics of the cell. Okay, fine. Now I say, now, what about the infant that's growing in a womb? Where does it get its nourishment from? Oh, the mother's blood comes into the womb, and then the nutrition passes from the mother's blood to the fetal blood. Oh, okay, cool. Then the big question is this. Is nutrition the only thing that is carried in blood? No. The emotional chemistry is carrying blood. So I say, so why is it important? I say, well, the mother is nourishing the fetus, but the mother is providing information in the form of whatever she's experiencing in her body. That signaling goes into the fetus as well and affects the same systems in the fetus's body. If the mother is under stress, the fetus is under stress. Why? It's the chemistry in the blood that is coordinating the stress. So the mother's blood going into the womb will provide a stress situation for the fetus because it's going to enter the fetus as well. Um, Bruce, can you tell me what are you most grateful for? Life. <laughs> I love my life. I didn't for many years because I had trouble loving myself because of bad programming. And I think this is one of the biggest issues on the entire planet. So if I didn't say it before, it turns out and when we do um, um, programs, the belief change, uh, and we ask one of the first beliefs uh, uh, to say, I love myself and see how many people test positive. Uh, generally, 80 to 90% of the people will not test positive for I love myself. Mm. And I say, this is a very profound for a simple reason. And what if somebody comes up and says, I love you? And your conscious mind's going, I know I'm not lovable, so you don't have any good quality control. <laughs> I know I'm not lovable. How can you love me? Uh, and then, of course, you'll break up that romance real fast, and then you won't have anybody. And you see, look, I'm not lovable. There's nobody here. <laughs> uh, and you did that to what? To make what? Your mind said you're not lovable, so the behavior will have to uh, uh, manifest coherence between that uh, program and your life. So if you say you're not lovable, then your behavior will end up uh, – removing love from your life so that you'd be right. I'm not lovable. And look, there's nobody here. Mm. Uh, and you didn't realize, well, that was because your program had to throw everybody away. You cannot be, you, you can't say I'm not lovable and have love all around. <laughs> it wouldn't, it wouldn't make any it's sense. True. So 
uh, I am extremely happy that I learned all this stuff because my life was not the life I have now. What's a life of greatness to you? A, a life that contributes to the whole, that we're all part of something bigger and that we have a role to play. And uh, if we contribute to the whole, then we are building a world collectively that's better than the one that we came in with. And so a life of greatness is, can you overcome these obstacles and, and then contribute something very positive to the world? Uh, because as you contribute something positive, you uplift everyone around. And as I said, there's, if, you, if you want to be happy, there's nothing better than to be in the middle of everyone who is happy. It's contagious. Bruce Lipton, thank you so, so much. Thank you, darling. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers, Matt Nikolic and Darcy Thompson. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.